evening, I'm going to be teaching on the seven churches of Revelation. This is the fourth part of the study, and I, I hope to get to churches number five and six. And that would just leave me with seven for next week, Lord permitting. Our orchestra will practice after our evening service. So orchestra members that are here, please stick around. I would like us to be ready to, to play our special music for next Sunday. With that, seven churches. We've covered four of them so far. And tonight we're going to enter into the fifth church, the church of Sardis. Sardis, things that remain. It's an interesting note. As John writes to each of these churches, he picks something about their name, which indicates something about the church too. And he also picks something about the city that he compares to the church. We have seen through these four churches that we've covered so far, uh, many, many aspects. To the church of Sardis, the things that remain, chapter 3, verses 1 to 6. To the church named things that remain, Christ comes as he that has the seven spirits and the seven stars. The church is told that they need to reinforce the things that remain. Overcomers receive white clothes and the promise that their names will never be blotted out of the book of life. Now let's take a look at things that remain from Sardis. First of all, the ruins of the temple of Artemis in Sardis. Now she was Artemis. A goddess was one of the most popular gods or goddesses throughout the entire region of today what's called Turkey. She was the goddess of productivity, the goddess of fertility. In our Bible, when it talks about Artemis, in, it calls her Diana of the Ephesians. Her name, even in the scriptures right there, was Artemis, Artemis in Greek. Artemis was not Diana. Diana was the goddess of hunting, the Roman goddess of hunting. And you realize what the Roman Catholic Church has done is that they've made a saint for everything, right? You have a saint for hunting, a saint for productivity and so forth and so on. They've taken all these gods and goddesses of uh, the pagans, and they've incorporated them into Roman Catholicism. It's what I call amalgamation. They've taken two things that are not alike, and they brought them together and forced them together, and they called them saints in Roman Catholicism. In the ancient religions of Bible times, these were called gods and goddesses. And, and what do you still have in the city of Sardis, hardly anything. You have these ruins that were the temple of Artemis. You have this little bit right here in front of the wall. That used to be a gymnasium, and that's all that's left of that gymnasium. Again, the ruins of the temple of Artemis. Hardly anything left reinforce the things that remain. It's an admonition that we need to take to heart. 
Revelation 3.1 And unto the angel of the church of Sardis write, These things saith he that hath the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. I know thy works. I read that every time with trembling. I know thy works. That thou hast a name that thou livest and art dead. The church there. He says, you have a name that you're alive, but you were buried a long time ago. You're dead. Now, you know, somehow we have gotten the misconception that activity indicates life. Walking through the jungle one day, I saw what you probably call an anaconda or a boa constrictor in Paraguay. It was dead, but it was moving all around. Had activity, but the activity was all maggots. That's not life. That snake, even though he were moving, had no life. It was dead. A lot of churches equate life with activity. Look at all the activity. I can remember when as a youngster I went to a certain church and on Thursday night, they had prayer meeting. But all the teens in the church had a dance, lots of activity. They could have 50 or 60 teens meeting in a room that had lots of activity, but no spiritual life. While three or four adults met for prayer, I wonder what Christ would have thought. You have a name that you're alive, but you're dead. Elaine and I were looking, and one of these days, I want you to actually start to see some of what's going on through the Bible College, your ministry around the world. Elaine and I were looking at a pastor who has finished two years of our four-year program, and Erminio sent me a video, I guess that's what we call it now, right? A video of uh, the service. Well, there were more than 20. There were more than 200. Could we easily say that? Now, beyond that, I'm not sure. You know, 500, 600, I don't know. But this pastor, who is one of our students, and the Saltales in, in Chiapas just ordained him. Um, he has a church that has a roof, which is a tin roof, and no sides whatsoever. It's like the kind of a thing that you might see in Paraguay where they sell building materials out of underneath it. But this is their church building, and that's all that they have. But the place is huge, and it's packed. And there were people seated outside because there were pastors that came to ordain him and so forth. And I looked at it, and I said, uh, and Elaine immediately said to me something like, it's so good to see these men that are being trained and see what they're doing. And I thought, yeah, we really need to get this so that we can show it uh, here in the church. Because God is doing some marvelous things through the ministry of Bible Baptist Church. But folks, let me tell you, right here, we need to be active in serving God. Amen? We can't just say, well, look at the lives that have been influenced. This church had a tremendous influence in the first three centuries they had an influence on other churches. They were known to be a living church. 
They had a tremendous membership, huge, but only a few of them were even saved. He says, you have a name that you're alive, but you're really dead. What is it that we can find in a name? Proverbs 10, 7. The memory of the just is blessed, but the name of the wicked shall rot. Wow. Name. What's in a name? Proverbs 22, 1. A good name is rather to be chosen than great riches and loving favor rather than silver and gold. A good name. Ecclesiastes 7.1, a good name is better than precious ointment and the day of death than the day of one's birth. You might say, as I would, as I did for many years, why in the world would Solomon say that your day of death is better than the day you were born? Remember, he's talking about a name. Your name, the day you were born, might have showed all the hopes that your parents had for you, right? This is what we want our son to be. Our daughter should be thus and such, a good name. But the day that you die is really the day that people determine what kind of a person you were. They look back over your life and they'll either say, what a wasted life this was somebody that had so much potential and wasted it. Or they'll look at your life and say, this life was well spent. Doesn't matter how much money you die with. I remember a man came up to me when at the time Howard Hughes was the richest man in the world. You might say, Howard who? <laughs> um, because do you know yesterday's multi-billionaire today is nothing? You know that? But that day that he died, somebody said to me, do you know how much money Howard Hughes left? And I'm thinking, eh, five million, hundred billion. Yeah, I don't know. And he said, he left it all. He didn't take anything with him. That's absolutely true. You see, in death, it doesn't matter how rich you were. Tomorrow, there will always be somebody who's richer than you were. It always happens. What matters is what kind of a life you lived. Peter today, 2,000 years later, is still more famous than Howard Hughes. And who remembers who the richest man in the world was when Peter was alive? But Peter said, silver and gold have I none. It didn't matter. Today we remember what kind of a man he was and what kind of a legacy he left us. The Apostle Paul could have stayed in Jerusalem and been a rich man, but instead he took the gospel out around the world. He spent his own money 
making tents. He paid for his own living. But his life is remembered today more than all the richest men of the Roman Empire. I look at that and I say, a good name in death, that's more important than it was in birth. In birth, all your hopes and aspirations of the parents would have been on the line. But in death, the memory of that person is because of what he actually lived. A good name. They had a name, they were alive, but they were dead. Jesus says to them, be watchful and strengthen the things that remain, that are ready to die. There were still some things that were teetering on the edge of death, ready to fall over the cliff. He says, strengthen those things that are ready to die. For I have not found thy works perfect before God. Remember, therefore, how thou hast received and heard and hold fast and repent. If therefore thou shalt not watch, I will come on thee as a thief, and thou shalt not know what hour I will come upon thee. Thou hast a few names, even in Sardis, which have not defiled their garments, and they shall walk with me in white, for they are worthy. He that overcometh, the same shall be clothed with white raiment. Now he said, there's only a few of you. Only a few of you that are actually saved. Whatever left a church that had a name for being alive to come to the place where there were only a few that actually would be in heaven and wear white garments. What happened to them? Their church services, everybody said, hey, you want a real live church? This is where you go. It's worth it to go there. Their church services are really alive. But Jesus says they're really dead. What happened to them? I can tell you that I'm not sure what happened to the church in Sardis. But I can tell you there are movements afoot in the United States and in other countries that have turned churches that were alive into just death traps. There, are the, there is the idea that a social gospel will really bring people. If we just give away free food, if we take care of people's needs, if we're 
need-centered as a church so that we supply everybody's needs. This person has a certain need. We have a pastoral staff that will make sure we take care of that need. He needs a place to live. We provide that. This person over here, he needs a little more rock and roll in his life. So we provide that, our church services. And I am amazed. I know a church in New Jersey that used to have well over a thousand members. And the last time that I visited that church, they had a pitiful few members on Wednesday night and the pastor of the church wasn't there. And not because it was some occasion where he was sick or couldn't be there for another reason. He had to be somewhere else or whatever. No. They said, no, he never comes on Wednesday nights anymore. He says it's boring. Um, just praying bored him to tears, he said. So he stays home and does other things. Well, who's going to go to church when the pastor doesn't go to church? Okay. And I said, well, I'm not going to be here on Sunday, but could you tell me what kind of a church service does he have on Sunday? Oh, we have rock music and we have this and that and the other. He said, of course, for the older people that don't want the rock music, we offer a traditional service early in the morning. Um, and then later we have our rock concert. Um, and the pastor preaches in that second service, and one of the deacons preaches in the first service. And I said, whoa. I said, you're trying to please everybody, and I bet you don't please anybody. And he said, yeah, that's probably the case. Do you want to have a name that you're alive? There are lots of things that you can do. You can have a lot of activity, but it may be nothing more than the movement of maggots inside the dead carcass. Jesus says, I know your works. Thou hast a few names in Sardis. This large church only had a few names in Sardis, which have not defiled their garments, and they shall walk with me in white, for they are worthy. He that overcometh, the same shall be clothed in white raiment, and I will not blot out his name out of the book of life, but I will confess his name before my father and before his angels. He that hath an ear to hear. It's not just being born with two ears. It's actually being able to hear what God says. Let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches.
Now, we've covered five of the churches. Ephesus, Smyrna, Thyatira, Pergamos, Sardis. The next church we're going to look at is Philadelphia. Philadelphia the very name again all these churches had the cities had a name that actually meant something Delphia in Greek city Phileo in Greek brotherly love the city of brotherly love. To the church, which is called brotherly love. Christ comes as the holy and true one. He promises to keep her from the hour of temptation. Overcomers receive the promise to being pillars in the temple that they will never leave. Now it's interesting. As John has picked out particular things about each city, he talks about the pillars in the temple in Philadelphia. These pillars are actually existing from the ruins of the church temple in the city of Philadelphia. This is in Turkey. So behind it, you see a mosque in the modern city, uh, which is no longer called Philadelphia, but of where Philadelphia once existed. Interesting that what survived, this area has strong earthquakes. And because of that, the pillars of the buildings there were made to withstand an earthquake. And the pillars, after 2,000 years, are still standing. Jesus says, I'm going to make you a pillar in the temple of God. I always imagined before I found out what the pillars were like there, that they were these narrow pillars like you would find in, uh, in Greece, on their pagan temples and so forth. But these are pillars that were intended to withstand an earthquake. And many earthquakes later, 2,000 years later, these pillars are still standing. The ruins of the Acropolis in Philadelphia yeah, it's all gone. 
the pillars of the church still stand. But the Acropolis lies in ruins. That's the modern day city of Philadelphia. Okay? Looking down on it from the Acropolis uh, where you saw those other ruins. And to the angel of the church of Philadelphia write, These things saith he that is holy, he that is true, he that hath the key of David, he that openeth, and no man shutteth, and shutteth, and no man openeth. I know thy works. Behold, I have set before thee an open door, and no man can shut it, for thou hast a little strength. Folks, if you think that we can keep the doors to the church open because we're strong, you've missed the whole point. Jesus opens the door. And he keeps it open. It's by the strength of the Son of God. It's not our strength that keeps Bible Baptist Church going. He's the one that promised, I will build my church. And hast not... Thou hast kept my word and hast not denied my name. Behold, I make them of the synagogue of Satan, which say they are Jews and are not, but do lie. Behold, I will make them to come and worship before thy feet and to know that I have loved thee. Because thou hast kept my word, the word of my patience, I also will keep thee from the hour of temptation which shall come upon all the world to try them that dwell upon the earth. Behold, I come quickly. Hold that fast which thou hast, that no man take thy crown. You know, folks, our church does not exist till today because of how special we are, but because of how good he is. We must never forget what we're here for. Jesus Christ has set a door that he has opened for us. It's open. We have a door to evangelize this area. It may soon shut. And when it does, no amount of forcing will ever open it back up. God has given us a chance. We need to get out and evangelize this area. 
There are houses all over in this area. The apartment buildings, you know, when we first started here, I used to go across the street and go into the apartments over there. I'd knock on the doors, people would invite me in. I know I got there one night, they had a, you know, security, steel security door. And, uh, and I knocked on the door, best as I could, I more than anything rattled the door. And uh, a voice inside said, come on in. So I went over there and I, I said, the door won't open. And he said, well, just a minute. I have to get over there and open the door for you. And I went in there and they were all laying around. It was like they were singing Kumbaya and, uh, and you could see the smoke going up and everything. And, uh, and I said, well, I'm Pastor Mike McCubbins. I'm from the church across the street and I wanna to talk to you about salvation. And these guys were big, burly guys. I felt like a midget next to them. And they said, well, sit down. And so I sat down and explained the gospel to them. And after a while, when I left, I came back to the church. And in our parking lot right out here was parked a guy in a van, in a, not a van, a, a camper um, who had pulled in while I was up there in the apartment. And I thought, okay, I don't want this guy, you know, I'm gonna lock the gate and go home. This was a Thursday night. And so I went over and I tapped on the window and I thought this guy's sleeping in his van, you know? This was long before our city became full of that. And uh, so I tapped on his window and the guy rolls the window down a little bit. And there he has all kinds of cameras and and everything, and I couldn't see it through all the tinted glass. Um, and I said, uh, I'm gonna be locking the gate, so uh, you can't sleep here. He said, no, I wasn't gonna sleep here. He said, I was filming you going in and out of a known drug uh, dealer. And I said, oh, really? And I said, well, I wasn't buying drugs. I was there talking to him about the gospel. And he said, yeah, but it's the best filming I've been able to get of his place. I thank you for going in there because he had to open the door for you. And I thought, wow, but you know something? We could go into those apartments and talk to them about the gospel. Today, they have a security system on there that you can't get through it to talk to anybody unless somebody invites you in. The door opened there, now it's closed. The door is still open on a bunch of places. But if we don't go in and take advantage of the time that God has given us, God will soon close the door. 
I have set before you an open door. When I open it, nobody can close it. But when I close it, nobody can open it. Behold, I come quickly. Hold that fast which thou hast, that no man take thy crown. We've got to hold on to what we have. Him that overcometh will I make a pillar. Excuse me. I wasn't supposed to be there yet. Yes, I was. Him that overcometh will I make a pillar in the temple of my God. And he shall go no more out. And I will write upon him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God which is New Jerusalem. I want you to notice, by the way, while I'm at it, it's not capital N, like New York has a capital N. The city's name is Jerusalem, and it's new. But it is not a different city called the New Jerusalem, like New York City. No, this is just Jerusalem, but it's new now. Which cometh down out of heaven from my God, and I will write upon him my new name. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. I'd like to be that kind of a pillar. A pillar that stands and does its job. Do you realize... When Jesus talks about a pillar in the temple of my God, he's not talking about the temple in Jerusalem. The temple in Jerusalem did not have pillars. That was not the way they built the temple in Jerusalem. It had a flat roof because it doesn't rain that much. It didn't need a special kind of roof. They used the timbers from trees that they cut down in uh, Lebanon and transported them all the way to Jerusalem to build the roof. Because it hardly ever rained there, they had a flat roof and it didn't need a pillar to hold it up. But if you look at the temples in Greece, where they had all these stones on top of, of everything and pitched roofs, they had to have pillars to hold it up. I'll make you a pillar in the temple of my God. He's talking about their church. What kind of a pillar are you going to be? And will you do the job that God has left you there to do? That's the kind of church that Philadelphia represented. Now, I'm not going to get into Laodicea this evening. But Laos in Greek means people. And Dicea desires or rights. Human rights, human desires.
I will say this. Would you like to at least see one picture of what the church was like there, according to Jesus? He talks about them and the water. Well, these are the pipes that carried the water in their aqueduct through the desert on the Meander River. The Meander River flows so slowly and is so full of calcium that the pipes had to come through the desert a tremendous distance just to get the water into the city of Laodicea. These pipes are full of calcium. Every so often, they had to change all the pipes because they filled up with calcium. And the water tasted so bad and was so hot after traveling through the desert that people would go to the public fountain, try to take a sip of the water and spit it out. I'll spew thee out of my mouth. Another picture of their pipes. Every time one of the pipes filled up with calcium, they just dug down and put another pipe in. So you have pipe after pipe after pipe that was put in, all filled with calcium, plugged up. So that's just a little bit of an idea when we get to the church in Laodicea. It's the last church that we'll look at. Father, use, I pray now, your word deeply in each and every heart and life. Challenge us, Lord, to learn from these churches the things that we need to do as a church today to be honoring and glorifying to you to not just have a name that we live, but to actually be alive in reaching people with the gospel before it's eternally too late. For we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.